the West, most of parents are not really responsible for the children's housing. For China, in the countryside, I uh, would really make it a precondition for them to engage with a man when the parents of the man can really buy the house, at least in, in some of the local towns. This is really the cultural legacy that is still at work. What I like about um, some of the things that I've read about this meeting in July is that as is fairly common, the government is attempting to take a rather comprehensive view and not just um, look for a simple solution that's, that's somehow going to address all of these problems at once. I think the turning point is already there, the bigger turning point. The further speculation to make huge profit, is, the day is over. So this is, this is the real situation. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. In the past few weeks, Chinese authorities have rolled out a series of policy adjustments for the property market, including easing restrictions on the classification of first-home buyers, lowering existing first-home loan rates and down payment requirements, extending tax incentives, and more. The measures came after a high-level meeting in July among China's top leadership concluded that major changes have taken place in the relationship between supply and demand in China's real estate market and called for timely adjustments. Is the Chinese property market reeling, as some Western analysts say? How will the new policies propel the healthy development of the market and meet the changing housing demand of the Chinese people? Now, for these questions and more, I'm joined by Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics, Dr. Yao Shujie, Chang Kong Professor of Economics at Chongqing University, also Michael Powers, a Zurich Insurance Group Professor of Risk and Finance at Tsinghua University. Thank you all and a big welcome to the show. Um, now, before we we delve into the specific adjustments. Let's take a look at the background to these recent uh, policy adjustments. Uh, I have some figures uh, here from uh, Property Research Institution China Index Academy. Uh, these data show that uh, sales from China's top 100 real estate developers kept dropping um, from April to August uh, this year, 2023, respectively at uh, around 7 18 percent, 18 percent, 19, and then uh, 33, and then 9 percent compared with the previous months. Uh, maybe let me start uh, with uh, Professor Powers. Now, how would you explain these drops? I mean, it, were the sales of these real estate developers in the first half of this year that bad? I think that there there are several factors um, mm. that that we need to talk about in explaining um, figures such as the ones that you just mentioned. Uh, we have a, a background of a slowing economy, not only in China but internationally. Uh, much of that has to do with the um, the raising of interest rates in the United States by the Federal Reserve Bank. So I, I think that that's something that that we have to keep in mind as a context for those drops. But we also have, um, uh, I, I think, the, a lack of consumer confidence. Um, uh, people in China uh, want to hold on to their money, um, are less willing um, to invest in real estate because they see, uh, perhaps, or they anticipate um, a smaller returns mm -hmm. than they were used to in the past. 
Um, some of these companies that are involved have individual idiosyncratic problems going mm. on in the in, in the companies. And then also uh, there is a, a sort of a restructuring, as you, you mentioned earlier, uh, restructuring of the real estate uh, sector. I think the government would like to see less reliance on real estate as an asset class. Um, real estate should be, uh, I think the idea is real estate should be more for people, houses for people to live in and, and useful functions as, as opposed to a, a, a significant central um, asset um, or investment class. Mm. So I think all of those things um, are lying behind the, these figures. Mm. Now, uh, Professor Yao, do you have something to add apart from uh, Professor Powers uh, had said? Well, I like emphasize uh, Professor mm. Powell's uh, point, which are uh, exactly what is um, the real uh, reality in the Chinese housing market. But in the in the in addition to it, I think the Chinese housing market actually have been distorted a uh, long time ago, and this kinds of distortion uh, have been arisen from uh, people's uh, greed for making uh, quick money from the housing market. Mm-hmm. The lack of social responsibility of many of the house developers who are uh, driving for market for, for profit rather than for the real demand of the the, the, the consumers, and that have been uh, enforced by some uh, local authority, which uh, lack a kind of long-term vision of what will be the long-term uh, condition of housing market and the demographic change mm. as well as people's income and income distribution. Because the Chinese market basically has been split into two components. Uh, one is for the relatively better of people, uh, particularly the middle and upper middle uh, income people who mm. uh, tend to buy more than one house. Some of them actually buy many houses. Mm. And also the low-income people, which the bulk of the population, particularly the rural migrants, they have been, uh, you know, squeezed in the middle. They they have uh, lots of capacity in arranging their finance, particularly uh, buying a house which are uh, quite expensive for them. So uh, the the market is split into the two. So on the one hand, uh, there are some sorts of, uh, you know, relatively shortage for the people who speculate the housing market. But they, on the other hand, there's a significant uh, you know, lack of supply for the low-income households. And the Politburo uh, meeting actually highlighted this point which uh, in a very uh, implicit way. But mm. it actually uh, find out that the, the key issue that China's uh, housing uh, policy have to be shifted. Mm. Away from the, the the housing segment, which are uh, aimed for the for the relative of people to the people who are real in need, and which right. is the rural migrant and the low income in the city. Mm. Professor Liu, what's your take? And uh, supposedly, you know, the first half of 2023 is a time when the Chinese people and the Chinese co- economy really recover from, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic and, uh, you know, the passion for new purchases, uh, especially, you know, purchase of property should have been pretty high, right? Well, we wished so because mm. uh, uh, people normally see that, okay, after the pandemic, there's going to be a boom and uh, even revenges. Uh, consumption. Uh, however, the reality does not really uh, respond to the expectation because 
uh, one is the confidence uh, for investors and consumers are still uh, there to be uh, really restored. Uh, the government has been sending uh, lots of positive signals, but uh, those signals are not really very well taken mm. uh, by the market. The, uh, if you look at the uh, real estate sector, uh, there has been a, a roller coaster drive. Uh, uh, actually, over the past one decade, mm. and the government, uh, uh, on one hand, they are very much concerned as a priority for the food security so that uh, the defend the 1.8 billion acres of land for arable purposes. Mm. And uh, on the other hand, the local government is heavily reliant on the income of selling the use right for uh, land development, either for industry use or for commercial housing. And so there has been quite a sort of a predicament. And the other is that a uh, uh, if we see the uh, rows of regulations uh, imposed on the uh, housing market, mm. uh, they did not really make a uh, clear difference between commercial housing versus economy housing. Mm. So therefore, uh, if it is commercial development that must be pushed to the market uh, by supply and demand, who, uh, who are there to decide on uh, the, uh, well, uh, on the market equilibrium. But uh Right now, uh, the uh, the fact that uh, they introduce uh, very hefty measures that uh, those uh, you know house are only for living, but uh, uh, which is true. Mm. But in the end, uh, if the it is really commercial development, there must be some uh, speculative purpose that is involved, so that they can really be able to send the right press signal to the policymakers and also to the decision makers uh, along the marketplace. So I think the uh, after all, it is really a swing of uh, government purposes and uh, the different understanding at different phases that are there to uh, send very mixed signals that are, are not properly understood by the market. Mm, right. As you said, uh, the Chinese real estate market have really in, evolved in the past decade. And uh, I remember a lot of Western press used the word a conundrum to describe China's, uh, you know, property market policies. Um, and uh, just like Professor Liu said, it was like a, a swing. Also, as you said, you know, the Chinese people may have like a very intricate feeling or intricate uh, sentiment towards property. So uh, let's talk about this. I mean, um, when we talk about the Chinese real estate market, uh, what factors should we remind ourselves that, you know, if we compare this with those um, in developed economies like the US and European markets, um, especially in terms of how people view housing and how different the conditions in first and second tier cities are from those in smaller cities. Um, maybe let me uh, start with Professor Powers again. Sure. Um, I, I think that from the perspective of mm. ordinary citizens, uh, consumers, the pe people buying ordinary houses, um, there are two things that, that are very significant. Um, probably the most obvious one is that um, real estate, the, the, their primary apartment or additional apartments that they own um, uh, as investments, uh, these these things form a major component of where they place their wealth. It's a very important mm. sector for that reason. It's quite different um, from the allocation that's made in other countries. So, for example, in the United States, mm. real estate may be roughly half 
of um, an individual's, on the average, uh, an individual's um, investment. Um, in China, it's significantly more than that, perhaps as much as, as two thirds. Um, at the same time, uh, one of the reasons, and at the same time, one of the, and because of the history, we have uh, the dramatic shift of population migration from the countryside to the cities, the, the uh, uh, rather amazing development of the cities, especially the, 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 the highest tier cities. Um, and that's pushed the price of real estate high. It, it perhaps or it led to great development um, of the real estate sector mm. in these areas. And perhaps now um, we're reaching the end of that that wave, and now um, there's more interest in second-tier cities or third-tier cities. So there's less interest on the part of investors, whether they be the ordinary uh, citizens who maybe, you know, they have a primary apartment, but they're looking at a second one as mm-hmm. an investment, mm-hmm. or whether it's someone who is, uh, as one of my colleagues mentioned, looking at things more speculatively, investing in, the, in real estate development, now sees that there is this shift taking place. So I, I, I think that those are, are some of the, the big trends that are, that are um, affecting the market at the time, at, at, at the current time. But there are other things um, that come mm. into play, such as the, the overall global economy. Mm, right. Well, I think, uh, let me add that yeah. there is also another cultural difference uh, there. In the West, uh, most of the parents are not really responsible for the children's housing, but right. in China. Mm. And uh, actually, the, uh, actually, I came back from the countryside, the girls mm. uh, uh, well, uh, would really make it a precondition for them to really to engage with a man uh, if the, uh, when the parents of the man can really buy the house, in mm. the, uh, at least in, in some of the local towns. So therefore, it's uh, really an uh, investment in advance mm. uh, for China. Yes, they, you know, probably in three years they don't get married, but uh, uh, you know, they, they have to buy the house for the, for the children. So uh, that also exert huge pressure on the parents. Mm. But uh, this is really the cultural legacy that is still at work. Mm. But Professor- that, That's absolutely mm. right. I, mm. I just wanted to add, I, I think that um, the, the emphasis on owning property and this, this property being the bedrock or the, the, the sort of the safe harbor for mm. one's, one's future um, is much stronger in China than, than in other countries in the United States. Young people, uh, mm. in particular, are very used to renting. They would expect to rent apartments before mm. they might buy a house. And some people might never purchase a house. They might rent for their entire lives. So so I, I think that there's much less of a cultural um, impetus behind owning or home ownership or owning property in the United States than mm. there is in China. Well, then, um, Professor Yao, about this trend of, uh, you know, Chinese people tend to have a property ownership as a prerequisite for for marriage or anything, uh, and the emphasis on property ownership. Do you perceive this trend uh, somewhat changing among China's younger generation? Do you see more Chinese people, uh, Chinese young people may be more open to the idea of renting? Um. It could be, but I think the, the Chinese culture, as um, Professor Liu Baochen and, and also Professor Power just mentioned, there's a, a cultural legacy. Mm. And I, I think there's also a, a cultural uh, you know, inertia in terms of uh, ownership of a property. It reflects 
uh, not only the symbol, the or the symbol of wealth, but also uh, being the attraction of uh, you know you know daughter-in-law, good daughter-in-law for many family. Mm. And uh, because of the Chinese family connection is far more closer uh, than the than the Western society, such as the United States and the United Kingdom. Uh, this is because the Chinese tradition that parents uh, tends to rely uh, more on their children when they become old, mm. and also you know the one-child policy has been driven uh, to a, a particular situation that uh, parents have to have a <clears throat> eagerness to make sure that their children have a fairly strong footing mm. uh, in in the city. And there are some other social issues as well. For example, you need a, you need a house to 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 move your household uh, residence. <laughs> right. Mm. Without a house, it's very difficult for you to move from city A to city B. Mm. So the, the household registration system in China actually has become a key issue. Uh, of everything. Mm. Uh, personal experience has told me that this household registration system is not only affecting the desire to buy a house, it's also affecting the ability to secure a schooling place in the in the local primary school and secondary school, mm. as always in social security, healthcare, uh, you know, also when the, the, the old age people care home and so on. Mm. It's all related to the household situation, which is interconnected uh, with the property right. Many cities, including uh, a, a small rural town mm. without without a commercial housing, it's in, almost uh, impossible for people to settle down as as a local resident. And right. the and the implication of without holding a local uh, residency have everything in their life, the people's life is mm. so difficult. So I appeal mm. to the central and the local government uh, that the housing solving the housing issue must also uh, solving the, the household uh, you know residential issue at the same time. Otherwise mm. this problem will prolong. Mm. Well, as as all of you have said, uh, Chinese people's education, uh, marriages, and maybe medical expenditure, all of these have very close relations with property ownership. And that's one of the reasons, you know, why owning a house, owning a piece of property is rather uh, a big deal, you know, among the Chinese people. Uh, so let's let's take a look at some of the specific adjustments because uh, on that meeting on July twenty fourth of this year, uh, the meeting was held to analyze you know the the overall economic situation and make arrangements for the work to be done in the second half of the year. Well, a readout from the meeting uh, said this about uh, the property market uh, specifically. Here uh, for our listeners, quote unquote, to adapt to the great changes in the relationship between supply and demand in China's real estate market, it is imperative to adjust and improve the related policies in a timely manner make use of targeted policy tools in different cities so as to better meet residents' demand for basic housing or they need to improve their housing conditions. Well, um, Professor Powers, what signal did you get from uh, that meeting about China's property market? I, I think that with regard to the, the language that you just quoted, I, I mm. think that that, that indicates uh, the government's concern for the, the high cost of real estate, 
um, especially for young people getting started, that, that often owning a, an apartment is a prerequisite for getting married and moving on with their lives. And I think that um, as a quality of life issue, and, and also just in terms of uh, the, 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 the stability of the social fabric of the country, um, the government sees it as important to bring down the cost of real estate. Mm. But that's being done in the context of some of these other things that we've been discussing. Um, the, the the problems in the housing market, uh, perhaps the overbuilding in some the overbuilding of of real estate or overdevelopment of real estate in some cities compared to other cities. I think that there is a, a great amount of um, transition going on. So that um, the, the particular issue that you just mentioned um, is something that probably would would have been dealt with by the government even if we didn't see some of these other issues in the housing market or or the general economy mm-hmm. um, but of course it has to be it has to be addressed in the in that context and so um, as professor Leon and professor Yao have suggested uh, this means that um, that it's difficult sometimes for for government policy because they're sort of threading a needle um, they're attempting to assist uh, let's say maybe assist at the, uh, homeowners at the lower end in terms of the less lower cost mm. um, apartments, but at the same time there there are issues um, at the more affluent end in, in terms of oversupply of apartments. Mm. So it, it is a, a complex matter, but I, I think that what what I what I like about um, s- some of the things that I've read about this meeting in July is that. As is fairly common, the government is attempting to take a fairly a rather comprehensive view and not just um, look for a simple solution that's somehow going to address all of these problems at once. Mm. I remember, you know, people were talking about it at the time back in July and forwarding uh, this piece of news through their social networks. And a lot of people were paying attention to it. And some say that the meeting was actually a turning point in China's recent uh, uh, policy on real estate market uh, in recent years. Now, Professor Liu, what do you say? Well, if you call it turning point, we have too many uh, turning <laughs> points. So this is really a clear sign of moderation over the uh, tough rain over the uh, real estate market, but it's still very mild. Mm-hmm. And now uh, simply by uh, li- liberalizing uh, the uh, credibility uh, from the bank, and I think they are under uh, pressure, not really from the consumer end, but rather from the local government in the first place, because uh, the uh, selling land uh, use right is really the cash cow for all local governments. Actually, more than uh, 42% of the uh, government coffer at the local level are reliant on the selling of land. And so uh, right now, uh, their coffer is hotly pinched. So uh, therefore... They cry to the central government, either you give me the milk or let me milk the cow. Mm. And uh, uh, the other is the banks, because most of the banks are state-owned, and they really wanted to keep it afloat because they over uh, they overloan it and they uh, gave more leeways for those uh, consumers to uh, to really to borrow so that they can really pay. Because right now a, a lot of uh, home buyers are really boycotting uh, against the loans. Uh, of course, they face more severe penalty, and uh, this is really a reckless uh, decision for uh, for them. The other issue is that uh, the economy uh, is still heavily reliant on the locomotive of real estate development. Although government wanted 
them to shift in more investment to the high tech, etc. Mm. But we have to be very realistic, calculating the pace and a holistic approach for the uh, social and economic development. So uh, right now, uh, it is really uh, easing, but uh, a, a sure way is really to help those uh, uh, you know, uh, who have already paid the money, who haven't really got the house, mm. uh, are able to borrow new money uh, with some of the uh, preferential uh, loans uh, or interest rates so that, uh, you know, we can really keep this line sustainable instead of uh, simply to see this is really going to burst the bubble. Mm. You've been listening to Chat Lounge on CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We're going to a short break, but we'll be right back. CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Hello everyone, this is Zoon Ahmed Khan, currently based in Tsinghua University. World Today is an excellent initiative to discuss current affairs by including experts from across the globe. I've always enjoyed our thought-provoking discussions and wish the team even more success and impact in the future. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Continue with our discussion. Now, Professor Yao, Professor Powers and Professor Liu have talked about the government tried to move the needle to solve a lot of issues, um, especially in terms of helping uh, different local governments really to improve their revenue um, through, you know, uh, improvement in the economic structure and in local communities. But uh, I want to um, pose this specific question to you, Professor Yao, about what the readout said uh, this um, grant or this a uh, big change um, in the in the relationship between supply and demand in China's real estate market. What does that mean? How? What are the changes that the meeting was referring to? Do you think the basic changes is actually reflecting the so-called oversupply mm. of the housing market in the the, the upper uh, segment, which I just mentioned in mm. China housing market is divided into upper segment and lower segment. So there is certainly there's a, a structural oversupply. So this is why the the, the, the Polidulo meeting mentioned there's a shift in the demanding supply. This is one part of the story. The other part of the story is that at the lower part of the market segment, mm-hmm. there is a shortage of supply. But the shortage of supply actually bears some sort of social element rather than commercial element, because the, the government at all levels, they have some responsibility to improve people's likelihood, particularly mm. the low-income people in the city. That means that the commercial housing, the economy housing, is not just by serving the lift, it have to have some 
com- comprehensive policy of how to establish the renting and economy housing for the lower segment of the, 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 the urban households. And in the upper end, I think there will be some strong adjust- adjustment inevitable. The house prices got to drop quite significantly for some time to come. Mm. Uh, so the, uh, the, the market bubble will be squeezed. But this would have a, a devastating effect on China's macroeconomy, particularly economic growth, which has been driven by the housing market greatly. Mm. So in order to play a more positive role of the housing market, despite some sort of structure adjustment in the house in the housing market between supply and demand, local government have to change their focus on the lower segment of the the urban population to build mm. more affordable housing. But uh, bearing in mind that affordable housing doesn't mean that local government house developer would going to get huge profit as they did in the past. Mm. So they have to abandon their the, the so-called profit-making uh, you know, mindset. Uh, they have to change the mindset of making profit to meeting uh, or improving people's likelihood at the right. lower you know, of the population. Mm. As you said, when we talk about uh, China's real estate market, because it's so big, we always have to distinguish between, you know, those in first tier cities and uh, second, third, and even smaller cities, and also uh, the different um, housing demand among different demographics. Uh, so following the meeting, uh, there were there came uh, specific uh, policy notices. Um, China's central bank, uh, People's Bank of China, uh, issued a notice early September that lowered the interest rates of existing mortgages for first home purchases. Now, uh, Professor Powers, how do you see this uh, lowering of the uh, interest rates of mortgages and um, what might have been the considerations? I mean, how big a difference will that make, really? I I think that um, it will make a difference on the margin. Mm -hmm. I think the government is, um, as I I said earlier, and and as my colleagues have indicated, they're trying to accomplish many things simultaneously, and so therefore they have to take um, steps fairly slowly and cautiously. So mm. lowering interest rate, uh, especially for, in this case, for first home purchases, um, is a way to accomplish a couple of those objectives. One is that it provides support for the real estate industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it 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 subsidizes in a way, or it encourages um, people to to make more purchases, but at the same time, it, there is an incentive or or lack of incentive, depending on from what perspective. That there's a shift in attention toward those who are using the real estate as their primary residence, mm-hmm. which is another aspect of the government policy to make real estate. Uh, to to have China less dependent on real estate as as a, a major asset um, class and to see it more as you know s- something that is necessary for living and it can be part of your assets but not something um, on which uh, people should over rely. So I, I think that that's the reason for this this step and the reason that perhaps um, it is not as dramatic as it might have been if. Um, if the redu- reduction in mortgage costs uh, were were wider spread, mm. uh, Professor Leo, how what do you say? How do you th- how do you think about this? Yes, yeah, so, uh, well, this is really 
considered to be a benefit from the government mm -hmm. and uh, for those uh, the uh, going to be homeowners. Uh, but uh, more uh, it, strategically, it is really to to really to help the bank. But that does really help also for the improvement of house home buyers because uh, uh, this way they can really uh, have the money to. Uh, well, uh, to buy a new home, for mm -hmm. example, if I have a two-bedroom uh, two uh, apartment, I buy a three-bed so that I can really have a uh, a sort of uh, time lag mm -hmm. to uh, to, really, to really change, and then I can I can also have access to the uh, uh, to, uh, well to, uh, to the loan from the bank. Mm, then I might have my parents coming over, right? <laughs> if I have like a bigger yeah, apartment. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's like a lot of uh, Chinese young people. Would, yeah, we think about as Professor Yao have said earlier, Chinese people turn to live in big families, and certainly, you know, moving from a two bedroom apartment to a three bedroom or even four bedroom apartment is a big deal for the family. Uh, <laughs> mm, yeah. Now, uh, around the same time, the central bank uh, also together with housing authorities uh, also lowered down payment requirements for home purchases. Uh, so according to policy notices, the minimum down payment ratios for first home and second home purchases nationwide will be no less than 20 percent and 30% respectively. This is down from 30% and 40% previ previously. Uh, Professor Yao, how big a difference do you think this will make in the property market, respectively, uh, in big and small cities? Um, in the smaller city, it's probably more important uh, than for the for the rural migrant and also the low-income people because mm -hmm. they don't have to save so much in order to get down to the housing ladder. And given that the house price is now uh, relatively lower than in the past, so it could be good for the first-time buyer. Now, for the second-time buyer, I think um, most of the people who can afford the second house, and they are relatively better off in in the society. So, a down payment of thirty percent is just to make sure they have a lack, less likelihood they will get bankrupt, <laughs> uh, and, and the and the and the banking sector will not suffer too much from uh, you know bubble. So uh, yes, in the short term, I think this is a policy to uh, you know to stimulate demand because the demand at the moment is particularly bad. Uh, you know, second second home selling at the moment across the country is so difficult. It is um, you know people uh, you know getting a urgent divorce. They want to buy they sell their house to divide their wealth. Mm -hmm. They have lose something less than fifty to fifty percent of the housing value. Mm. Uh, it is a very, very difficult uh, chance at the moment. Uh, so this policy is, in my view, is short term. is to make sure that the housing market will not drop as like the free, uh, in, in, you know, rocketing uh, from the sky to the ground. Mm. In the longer term, as I say, uh, is this is the just the source of, uh, you know, financial policy. In the in the longer term, there should be some sort of taxation policy. Mm. Uh, for example, the, the first-time buyer and also the people like you who want to move into a bigger house, they got to be some sort of policy, uh, you know, designed to help these people to reduce their cost of moving house and buying the first house. This is through the, the tax system. Or, or sometimes they have to provide subsidies. Mm. For example, like people provide subsidy for buying a new energy vehicles. 
for why why can't the government provide subsidy uh, for the first time buyer and the middle low income people to settle down in the city by giving some sort of first time buyer subsidy mm. so this is some sort of alternative policy that uh, you know government have to consider although uh, it's not yet that will consider this kind of policy or they may never consider so mm. the, the, the Chinese housing market is not just like policy, because the government itself, the local government itself is a stakeholder. It's, it's, a, it's also a, competi- a competitor mm. in the housing market. They want to sell the land, make revenue, rely heavily on the, on the land sale and so on and so forth. So for the housing market to become uh, more healthy and sustainable, the, the mindset of the local government have to change, mm. the bank have to the consumer may have to change. So it's a tripartite uh, trinity uh, connection between mm. government, house developer, and consumers. Mm. So the leading agent in this case is local government. The local government have been implementing all kinds of housing restriction policies, but few of them actually uh, consider a way of how to reduce the overall uh, affordable housing in the market and the supply Down payment really has very little effect because I I talk with a number of people, mm. uh, the, the the younger people, uh, graduates from our MBA program, etc. They said, "Well, uh, it's like you know uh, our Asian fable of dealing with monkeys. So uh, you uh, you have seven chestnuts anyway. So uh, either you <laughs> gave them four in the morning or, or gave them three in the morning. Mm. So uh, you know the threshold is lower, but uh, the ceiling remains high." So they have to really make a very calculative decision mm-hmm. uh, uh, to uh, to see that uh, whether they have the stream of income that are able to uh, pay all the installments on uh, a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So therefore, uh, you know, uh, hopefully that uh, the government can listen to <laughs> Professor Yao that uh, you know they do mm-hmm. offer something substantial. So because this is really nominal or symbolic, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't really help the market. I think what you said is, uh, you know, if you pay less down payment, it means that your mortgage every month will be higher. Yeah, so you have to make a very calculated decision on that. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Well, following these changes issued from the central government, local authorities in mega cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen issued policies easing purchasing requirements and mortgage rates, especially for second home buyers. Well, these big uh, mega cities previously are were having the most strict restrictions in terms of uh, purchasing second home buyers. If you have already, you know, used mortgages or loans from banks in other cities, then your if you're buying looking to buy a piece of uh um pro- property in Beijing, the interest rates uh you get will be very high. So it looks like um these measures are specifically you know uh, looking to help those people who are looking to improve their living conditions, changing from smaller apartments to bigger apartments. I mean, uh, Professor Powers, is that the case? What do you think about this uh mega cities relaxing restrictions? 
Well, for, first, I would note that this is consistent with what the um, the central government has um, stated is mm. its policy, and that is to sort of delegate some of this responsibility to the local governments because um, they are the ones who understand the local conditions better and presumably can make um, the financial and economic decisions that are more appropriate for um, their, their, their local situations. At the same time, of course, there needs to be oversight because um, local governments may have their own incentives and may not see the bigger picture that's coming from Beijing. So I, I think that in this case with the, these very large mega cities, as you call them, um, there, there's probably confidence that they are going to do the right thing mm. with regard to the, the, the easing of some of these requirements. Um, and this is, again, something that is, a change that is being made in order to assist the real estate market. It's something where it's a it's a situation in which there was a, a heavy constraint placed on on the sector and now it's being released. Uh, this could help with um, problems of oversupply, especially for more affluent um, owners of real estate. So that mm. if they're in uh, apartment complexes, apartment buildings that have been developed and they're currently empty, more of those Will, will now be be sold to people because of of the removal of this restriction, mm. um, and I think that's a good indication of how the government is trying to do many things again at the same time. It's trying <laughs> to t- sort of turn the knob in a number of different ways uh, to seek out an optimal situation to get back to what the the, the long term equilibrium that it's targeted. And in this case, it's something again that helps the sector, the real estate sector. But um, it's not directed toward those uh, the less affluent individuals who need to have basic housing, but rather in this case, it's something that would be a benefit to those who are relying on um, on real estate as an asset class. And and, and so there 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 may be a trade off there, and 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 it's something of a contradiction. But I think that's part of what's necessary. In, in taking this the, the, these steps um, to make progress mm. without disrupting the market terribly. Indeed. But, but uh, uh, the, uh, the yeah. concern for mm. this type of buyers uh, are really uh, what is really behind it. If I really get a bigger house and mm. then uh, will the housing property market, uh, the uh, tax waiting for me. So mm. uh, therefore, uh, you know, I think the government really needs a more holistic approach and mm-hmm. to to really to talk with people, interview with people, and to see that uh, what is really the total consideration when they decide uh, uh, to or not to uh, buy a house in this way. Mm-hmm. So it seems that well, uh, they may really release on uh, on one thing, but they they have something that can really be tightened up on another. So this is the this is uh, the really the credibility of the government, and also is it really the test of the uh, level of uh, governance mm-hmm. over uh, this particular industry? Because uh, you know uh, right now uh, people are still waiting to see okay what is the next red tape, what is the next regulation. Mm-hmm. So uh, why don't they really uh, come up with more of a you know the uh, a holistic uh, a type of regulations on the table so that people can really be able to predict uh, what is really in store for mm. them in the future, either for the payment or for the service Indeed. of uh, new taxes. Mm. Now, I, I think I yeah. think that Professor Liu is making a great point. I, I think that there is uh, this is a conundrum. There's 
there, there's definitely a, a, a tension between um, having a transparent regulatory policy on the one hand and this inter- incremental approach that I was describing on mm-hmm. the other. If you want to, um, if you want to lay it all out to, you know, to the market, to buyers at all levels, what you plan to do in the future, that can certainly boost confidence and um, encourage people to allocate their resources um, right away mm-hmm. and, and more, you know, with, with, with more confidence, with, um, with, with more long-term preparation. But at, on the other hand, what it, what it means is that the government would be surrendering its ability to fine-tune the economy, to make these adjustments if it sees things going in the wrong direction, to take a step back. Uh, there really is a, a trade-off and a tension between those two approaches. Well, I'm not envying people who are doing these uh, policy adjustments uh, because, as you have, both of you have said, this is very complicated. But uh, on this uh, specific relaxation of requirements to purchase uh homes in big mega cities. I mean, for the past few years, people without residences, for example, in cities like Guangzhou may not be able to purchase a uh, a piece of uh, a property in that city. Now, if the government relaxed uh, these uh, specific requirements, uh, Professor Yao, do you think that will perhaps, you know, lead to a more speculative nature of the property market in, uh, in, in bigger cities in China? Well, I think the turning point is already there. The bigger turning point, the, the, the further speculation to make huge profit, is the day is over. Mm. So whatever the government is doing, legislation uh, is just basically to make sure that the housing market would not go down by a rocket. Right. So this is this is the real situation. I mean, um, both central and local government they realize that the housing market is going down. And this going down is due to a lot of problems that we have been discussed. This problem have to be eradicated. And this problem have to be turned to to resolve carefully. Mm. And the legislation of this kind can only uh, make sure that the housing market in Guangzhou or, or in Beijing they are not going down much further. Mm. And this is very important uh, because the legislation of people ability to buy the restriction on on household restriction on on the kinds of uh, you know, people's mobility and so on mm. and so forth. This policy is not neglect, not just relating to the housing market; it's neglected to the entire society. And China want to move into the higher level of economy and social development. This issue have to be resolved, mm. not only just for the short term, but also in the longer term. Right. Now, let, let's see, you know, how these policies, uh, I mean, it's relatively very new, but uh, let's see how data performed in September. I have some from China Real Estate Information Corp., uh, which is an online industrial information provider. Uh, these data show that sales volume for China's top 100 real estate developers uh, totaled about 400 billion yuan in September 2023. And this uh, same figure um, from the same company uh, showed that this figure back in September 2020, that was three years ago, was about 1,190 billion yuan. That's about, you know, three times of the amount this year. Um, So, Professor Powers, do do you do you think this is uh, much of a lackluster performance of the Chinese real estate market in September this year? Especially you consider how the government tried to roll out policies to boost uh, the market. 
I think that in terms of looking at policies that, that boost the market, um, it's important to keep in mind that the discrepancy between those two figures you mentioned, the four, $404 billion mm. um, in September of yeah. this year right. versus the close to, I guess, tw- close 1200. to $1,200 mm. uh, billion in, in September of 2020. I don't think that, that moving today's figure back to that much larger one is, is the government's objective. I, mm. I think the government's objective is, at the moment is, is to stabilize the sector, uh, to give it a boost, um, to take incremental, cautious, targeted steps in, in, in that regard. I think that with if we look at um, you know this discrepancy between 2020 and 2023, uh, what we're seeing is a big part of that. Some of that could be, of course, um, COVID-related and the pandemic-related, but I think a big part of it is that there is a, tr- a structural transition taking place in the nation, mm. um, that this wave of um, migration to the cities is slowing down, co- coming to an end, um, mm. that the development, the real estate development at, at the high end in these major cities is slowing down, and that there now has to be a shift to other priorities. So... Yes, part of it, uh, the discrepancy b- between those figures is that you could say, you know, the market is lackluster, it's not doing that well, things have to be, um, steps have to be taken to improve it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the objective is to move back to the figure that we saw three years ago, because mm-hmm. I, I think that, that the country is undergoing a transition away mm-hmm. from that. Well, talking about uh, these de- uh, demographic changes that Professor P- Powers mentioned, uh, some say that the change in China's demography are really changing China's property market forever, uh, because now young people born in the 1990s are becoming more like the main consumer group in the property market. Uh, at least they are among the people who are looking to buy their first piece of property. And these group of people no longer view property ownership as important uh, as their predecessors. We somewhat touched this before, but Professor Liu, how, what do you think about this change? How do you think changes in the dem- demography are going to affect the market? Uh, what you uh, said is really uh, something true about uh, the youngsters in the mm-hmm. mega cities. But in the second tier and th- uh, first tier or fourth tier cities, uh, tradition is still very resilient. Mm. So therefore, there's not really much of uh, such a change. Then, Professor, um, China is experiencing a drop in birth rate uh, in these past few years. How do you think that will influence the market? Well, that's going to uh, create the uh, a big structural uh, uh, change in the paradigm. Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, given the Chinese, uh, the uh, type of uh, the structure of uh, Chinese uh, demography and also the Chinese institutional setting, mm. uh, mega cities are never short of people. Now, Professor Yao, how do you see the changes um, in demography uh, as we talk about the 1990s uh, change of mindset as well as the drop in birth rate? Yeah, the the long-term trend, the the lower fertility rate for women and also, you know, the concept of marriage and divorce uh, and also the concept of uh, having the number of children uh, have changed uh, from the previous generation to the current generation. The current generation, they are more care, relatively, relatively, uh, more care about their personal welfare mm. and also their freedom. 
So in a sense, they may not be as likely like the uh, older people to quickly have a house uh, because they they can delay their marriage by you know renting a house for a few years, and when they become more affordable, they start to buy a house. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's their choice. It's actually is their real situation has changed. And if more and more people you know are adapted to this way of life, then they would not be less social discrimination against the people who does not own a house. Mm. And that would be become a, a new uh, you know, structural change in the social value. But mm. this may, may take a long time. So uh, it's too early to say that the, the people born in the 90s, they are lack of interest in buying a house. Uh, there are two things. One thing is that the, you know, most of these people, they like to queue in the bigger city where it's highly expensive, but there's a more job opportunity and better you know, promotion in their future life. Mm. And another thing is that these people, you know, uh, they can delay their marriage and having children. So the need to have a house immediately at the age of 25 or 30 is not as desperate as the previous generation. So <laughs> probably the two changes. Right. Well, such a fascinating topic because this is a rather a very complicated issue for such a big country uh, with more than 1.4 billion people with different housing demands. But thank you all for joining me for this discussion. Uh, again, one, I want to thank our guests. They are Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Dr. Yao Shujie, Chang Kang Professor of Economics at Chongqing University. Also, Michael Powers, a Zurich Insurance Group Professor of Risk and Finance at Tsinghua University in China. You've been listening to Chat Lunch on CGTN Radio. Thank you for joining us for this edition. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Bye for now. Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. 